So failure simply by definition is just a lack of success. The potential of it, it's there. What do we do with it? I, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I think anybody likes anybody in a story, if you're telling it about yourself, makes other people say you're an idiot, okay? <laughs> it, I think it works. So um, Monday, my wife had called me and said, uh, so they had went, they'd went out of town for the day, and she said, someone's going to be bringing some drinks by the house, like Amazon's going to be drink, bringing some drinks by the house. When they do, just put them in the refrigerator. So I was there at home, number one, by myself. Right? That's, that's one of the good parts about this story. But I was there at home by myself, sitting in the garage by myself in a, one of those plastic chairs, okay? Sitting there, and I'm on my phone. I've got this golf game that I like, so I'm playing this little golf game. By myself in the garage in this chair. And, uh, and I, when it, uh, this, I heard it kind of go, I, I kind of heard like a little bit of like, okay, this, it may be compromised a little bit, but let's just ride it out and see what happens, okay? And so here this car pulls up in the driveway, and I'm thinking, okay, so this is, this is the drinks. This is everything that's coming. I'm going to put them in the refrigerator. So, you guys, as soon as I made my way to get out of that chair, it literally exploded from underneath me. Poof! I mean, plastic went this way. My phone went this way. My pride was over there. I had to go pick it up. And I'm telling you, this girl got out of the car, and she was going, are you okay? I mean, she's trying to laugh underneath her breath, and I'm thinking, I feel like a complete idiot. I'm glad it was just me. I didn't know who she was. She left, and we were okay. But you got those moments where you're like, man, I, I screwed this up. I mean, this was, if, if you were there that day and you could have seen that, you would have think, man, they love, what has what this guy got going on here? It was unbelievable. It felt like a failure. So when we talk about these royal mess-ups, these things, one word comes to mind. And it's the word I. I, we, you, we get in the way. And sometimes that failure gets so bad that we feel like God is a million miles away from where we are. And the word forsaken comes up. And as I was thinking about this, this thought and I was thinking about failure and being forsaken, I thought, what, what does God say? What, what do we do? What do we do in those moments? Two men I found that went through some failure. They didn't stay there, but they definitely went through failure. You may, you may know the book more than you know the guy's name. The book is called Chicken Soup for the Soul. Ever heard of it before? There's a bunch of those, okay? The author was Jack Canfield. He went to a publisher and he said, I want to sell a million, 1.5 million books the first year of publishing. He said, you can probably sell about 20,000. Well, today, Jack Canfield... That brand, Chicken Soup for whatever it is, is, about, is a billion-dollar brand, all right? It is said that before he found the first publisher for his book, he was rejected 144 times. Check this one out. Here's the next guy. You know it best, mashed potatoes, gravy, coleslaw, two-piece meal, Colonel who? Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Matt knows him well, Okay. Keeps him on his contact list. <laughs> Colonel Sanders dropped out of school when he was in the sixth grade. The story moves on that he had a restaurant. When he turned 65, a major highway came through his area right where his restaurant was, and they got rid of the restaurant. But he had something. He had a secret recipe 
that is said, I couldn't believe this because we probably had KFC this week, okay? So over a thousand times he was rejected with his secret, secret recipe and now thousands of restaurants. So you can't give up in the failure. You can't give up in the forsakenness. You've got to work through it. So in Psalm 22, you can see it there on the screen. This is called a messianic psalm or a or prophetic psalm where Christ, under the pen of David, is giving him a story, literally his time on the cross, that will not happen for a thousand years. Matter of fact, it'll be 600 years before crucifixion by death is even introduced to society. So here is David. He's writing this. The Lord is giving him the words. And I want you to notice just about the first six or seven verses what David must be thinking. Christ is giving the words. What's David thinking is he's pinning these words. And you can see this in, in Matthew 27, 46. It's Christ's words on the cross. You follow along as I read. David pins this from Christ's words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Notice, notice how David, it is said in scholar, scholars, David really didn't have a situation where he cried out like this. Now, he had some situations. We're going to talk about one where he was in such agony and woe only, only Christ knew this. Let's keep reading. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season am I not silent. But notice what the words are here. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and disdelivered them. They cried, verse number 5, unto thee. And were delivered and trusted in thee and were not confounded. And verse number six is where we'll key at today after we read another passage about David. But he says in verse number six, but I am a worm. And no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. Let's have a word of prayer before we continue this morning. Father, we thank you for your many blessings, God. We thank you for the opportunity to share your word with your people, Lord. And I know that under the sound of my voice, Lord, there's no doubt ones that are here, Lord, and they want to know how to get through failure. Help, Lord, this message just to give a little insight for that, Lord, as you've helped me. And, Lord, there may be one in here lost this morning, God. I pray you touch that soul as well, Lord. You're always able to forgive and ready to forgive and, and place another member in your family, Lord. We're thankful for that. So give us your grace. Give us your help this morning, Lord. As we try to talk about, uh, try to talk about this passage of Scripture, in your name we do pray. Amen. Now, let's go quickly, just get a little bit of insight on David's life of where. Now, look, David knew failure. He knew, what, he knew what it was about. And the idea here, when you get in an impossible circumstance, just like David is, we're waiting there to say, God, get us out. God, get us out. Let's, let's go look at just one, all right? Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. You know the story. Nathan comes to David, and a lot of times in failure, there's finger pointing, right? And you can literally feel the finger pointing in this story. 2 Samuel chapter number 12, verses 1 through 15. 
The Lord sends Nathan unto David and says, And he came to him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing. Save one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished up, and it grew together with him and with his children, did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, lay in his bosom, and was to him as a daughter. Now, picture David as he's listening to this story. He's taking this in. He's no doubt Nathan's telling him, and Nathan, he, David's trying to take all this in. In verse number four, he says this, There came a traveler unto the rich man, spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And look at verse number five. Just as if you would be listening to a story and that would happen to somebody else, you're going to get upset. Well, verse number five, David was upset. And it says, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing shall surely, what? What does it say? Die. Verse number six. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because had no pity. And look at verse number seven. Here's where the bony finger comes out. And it says, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. And you can imagine, just as, as we've all felt it, that sinking feeling of, I just messed up. I see what has happened. I've, I've, royal, I've royally just messed everything up and notice what Nathan says to him notice these next few verses as they converse and it says thus said the Lord God of Israel I know to thee king he's, he's reminding him of everything that he has been given and what he has and he says I anointed thee king over Israel I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul I gave thee thy master's house thy master's wives gave thee the house of Israel and Judah that has been too little I would moreover have given thee such and such things wherefore hast thou not despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight and he reminds him Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Verse number 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus said the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine house and will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them to thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. Go down to verse number 14. How be it? Because of this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And, the, and verse number 15 says, and, and Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. It's a pretty sad story. It's a pretty sad story of, of failure. And, and no, nobody likes that. Nobody likes fair. Nobody likes to see anybody struggle. Nobody likes to see the lack of success in people's lives. But here it was. It was real to David. And then we have this 22nd Psalm. David knew failure. He understood the forsakenness. And what you have in this Messianic Psalm is David trying to, David trying to relate to what Christ is giving him a picture of. And that is the one of the worst and greatest days in human history, and that is Christ's death on the cross. But because of that great death, we have great life. So that is the picture you're trying to see in something that was happening. On that cross, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you at? Christ felt that. So my question for us today to try to answer and give you some help and help me is realize who we are. Who are we? Where can we find the hope? Where can we, when we're crawling around and we're trying to work through the failure and the forsakenness, where do we go to? We have to realize something about ourselves. Look in verse number six, and let me tell you what you and I are today. Verse number six, but I am a worm. So my topic today is this, as we look at this scripture, is this, the obedience of worms. What do we do when we get in a position where we don't know what to do and we look around, we have to realize what we are and who Christ is. We're just a worm. The picture of the worm here is the, is, is the idea of extreme weakness, um, helplessness. Uh, in, in Hebrew, it's the word taula, if I'm not mistaken. It's just despised, trodden down, and that's what we are. We need Christ's help. Now, I know this. I, I probably couldn't do this in some churches, but I know at Eufola, everybody in the room, or at least 95% of you, probably have a fishing story somewhere along the way, all right? And you're, you, it's almost like when somebody asks you about it, you're just waiting to tell them because the fish that you got, it was this big, and the next time they tell it, you know, it gets a little bit bigger, you know? But it, have you ever thought about it in those stories? And I know sometimes it does happen. But nobody ever says, man, I got this worm the other day. Man, it was, the, it, was, it was this big right here. I just can't wait to thread that thing. On, dirt comes out of it. it just, I can't wait to thread that worm around that. We really hear anything about worms, do we? We hear about the fish. We hear, we, it got bigger every single time you told the story. But the worm you don't hear much about. So I want to talk about worms. I want to talk about worms this morning. So as you view yourself, you need to look at yourself as weak, as helpless, just like that. And as we're, we're digging around in the dirt, so to speak, we're crawling around in the world and we're trying to figure it out. Let's be obedient worms. So the first thing I thought about is this when we talk about being obedient is something that we forget in our failure is this. Number one, our God is trustworthy. Some of us, at times, more than others, sometimes we have a problem trusting. I would probably never do this, but you've seen these videos before where, where these people, they'll get on this platform and they'll go and they'll stand and everybody's standing behind them, you know, they're like, one, two. I don't think I would do that. The friends that I keep, I felt like would let me fall, okay? I just felt like, just felt like that I would be another failure story for me to tell. I don't know that I could do that. But sometimes our trusting gets a little bit skewed. We don't know what to do with it. But simply trust is placing confidence in someone else or something else. That's what, that's what that is. So it's a large role in our life. It, it, it does happiness and joy with, with trust around us. What are some verses about trust? Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. Psalms 56, 3 and 4 
says this. this is, we'll talk about the opposite of trust, and that's fear. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In, in God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And then Jeremiah 29, 11 said this. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. This is comforting here. We can trust in this. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. So what is the opposite of trust then? Well, it's fear. I taught biology uh, at a Christian school for, for over 20 years, and so I really enjoy the study with animals and the human body. And so one part that we talked about was the nervous system. You have in your brain a little bitty organ, a mixture nervous system called the amygdala. And the amygdala is one of those things, it's a, it's a receptor, it's a response to what we see of a fear. And what it does, it activates in us one of two things. Flight or fight. And when you get scared, whatever it may be, you're choosing one of two things. When someone comes around the corner and goes boo and you swing, all right, it just, it just did it for you. It just chose for you, okay? Or you lay on the ground and you can't do anything. It crumbles you. You fight or you flight. My kids have been going to, to Carowinds these past few weeks. I'm sure all of you have been to Carowinds at one point, know what it is. When you walk into the park, I've not ridden it before, but I, I think I would. I've ridden the, the one that go, that's like 200 and some, 230 some feet. They have a roller coaster that's 325 feet in the air. Now, when I say that to some of you, right now, your palms are getting sweaty. Right now. I mean, you're like, there is no way I would get three, willingly, pay for it, buy a ticket, and go 325 feet in the air to drop and go 95 miles per hour with a little bitty seatbelt over me, okay? I'm not going to do that. And some of you are like, I want to go today. Sign me up. Let's ride it over and over and over. You fight it or you get out of there. That's one of the two things. That's what that little bitty organ does. Have you ever been so afraid that literally it shuts you down? You couldn't, I mean... You hear something, there's an accident, one of your children, we lose our trust. We lose our trust. And I understand the fear is there, but we have to give the other side. We've got to trust in what God has done. Trust him with those kids. Number two, number two, ultimately it is said about trustworthiness, before we get to number two, ultimately it is said this, we know deeply that the other side of fear is freedom. You have that freedom to trust in what God is doing in your life. So number one, our God is trustworthy. Number two, number two, our God delivers. Our God delivers. Have you ever just missed that car before? Just swerved out of the way? You know, you ever took one of those missteps? And that doesn't make you feel stupid, right? When you, when you step off and there's nothing there, you're like, what? I, I could have turned my ankle, you know? You just, maybe this week, maybe this week you were kept from something and you could testify this morning and say, God kept me from this. He is a God of delivery. Acts 13, uh, there's, there's a few things I, I thought about as far as God delivering us from. Number one, God delivers us from the guilt and penalty of sin. 
Acts 13, 38, and 39 says this. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He delivers from the penalty of, uh, of guilt and sin. Number two, God delivers from the power of evil. If we've ever lived in an evil time, it is today. It's all around us. Uh, everywhere you go, the places that are supposed to be safe are not safe. He delivers from the power of evil. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Number three, I thought about this. God delivers us from those sudden temptations that we face. The ones that if we give in maybe just a little, that could ruin us maybe for the rest of our lives. You've heard this before. I made a decision at 15. I made a decision at 16. And at that decision, it affected me for years to come. And vastly, vice versa, it could be said too that I made a great decision. He delivers those from those type of temptations. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So, sin, the power of evil, the temptations. Here's one that I think a lot of people face today that they won't tell you about it until it's too late. God delivers us from depression and loneliness. Depression. Maybe you, maybe someone that you have known has went through and battled depression. And you, you, try to, you try to help them, but a lot of times it's just listening. And literally it grips their soul. They don't know what to do. He helps us with that. Can't help us with that. Isaiah 41.10 says this. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be thou not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with thy right hand of righteousness. And the last one about God delivering. We need to hurry here. Number five. God delivers from resentment. And bitterness. It may be something that happened 15 years ago, but when you see that person or you hear that word, it hits in the back of your mind just like that, and you're like, oh, I can't stand that. I can't, I can't believe they did that. And it's 15 years old, but you're still dealing with it. And it may be a daily dealing with it. God says this in Psalms 50:15. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. He delivers, can deliver from resentment and bitterness. What do you need deliverance from today? What is it that you struggle with? Maybe something I didn't even mention that comes to your mind just when I say it. Yep, I need help with that. I need a little bit of deliverance from that. I need a little bit more grace, as the trio saying. A little bit more grace. Number one, our God is a trustworthy God. You can overcome some fear by trusting in him. Number two, our God is a God of delivery. He says that in verse number four there. And the last thing I got thought about this one, and this is the one that kind of sets the stage for all of it. Number three, our God is holy. It's the character trait that sets him above all other traits that could be given. It is that trait alone that trumps everything that we try on this earth or what anybody, what other God is trying. Our God's holy. There's nothing to compare unto him. 
Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. This is how the narrative goes. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it, I, I try to picture this in my mind, and maybe you can too. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And this was their message. And one cried unto another, and they said three words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know why God is holy? God's holy because of, the, of his providence in our life. He sees all. He knows all. He orchestrates all. He's the, the puppet master, if you will, of our lives. He orchestrates everything that we do. Number two, it's because of his presence. He's always with you. He cares for you, even when you think he doesn't. Even when you get to that forsaken and failure, he still cares. Because of his providence, he sees all and knows all. Because of his presence, he's always with us. Because of his power. You know, sometimes, and this is just the flesh that comes out, some of these different leaders around the world, and they get on TV, or you see them, and they're kind of shaking their fist at God. In my flesh, I want to say, well, you won't be doing that one day. You're going to be, everything's going to be reconciled. Kings, presidents, queens, leaders, authority figures, they're not going to be shaking that fist anymore. He has all power. He's also holy because he's infinite. His nature does not change. And a lot of times when we get in a situation of forsaken and failure, we change. But church, he does not change. He is the same. The same God that was with you when you were on the mountain is the same God that's going to be with you when you're at that lowest point and you don't know what to do. You've heard of news that shuts you down and fear is overtaking you and you don't know what to do. He does. You don't run from him, you run to him. You run to him. His providence, his presence, his power, he's infinite. And number five, he's incomparable. All you ladies in the room that are married, you have something on your finger. Hopefully you do. You're, he didn't mess up on that, okay? You got a diamond. You got a rock on your finger. And you go back to those years and uh, you remember that. And there's a word that's used in diamond and gem hunting. It's the word flawless. You're looking for the right cut, the right clarity. You're looking for all that thing. When you look at Christ... He is flawless in his character. He is flawless in his nature. He's the perfect diamond, if you will. Matt, you can come on. The last thing that I have for you today is this. There's a picture. Our God is trustworthy. Our God delivers. And our God is holy. There's a picture there on the screen of a scarlet worm. So when you look at this worm, 
the word that is mentioned in Scripture talks about this worm. And it's a worm that when you go back into those, the days of the Israelites, they obtained dyes from this worm and they colored their curtains and they colored things inside the tabernacle. But what is very unique, and I think it's just in God's creation, is this worm, when this worm bears its young, what happens is that mother worm attaches herself to a piece of wood. And what happens when she dies, she literally, the, the, the young underneath her, the blood will literally run over those eggs and it protects those young. It's called the Ascaris, the scarlet, the crimson worm. What a picture in God's creation of what he's trying to show us of what he did for us. Literally, church, he was our scarlet worm. He knew the obedience. He knew the obedience of the cross. He went and shed his blood. As you see there on the picture on the right, that's what happens. It's a blood-stained tree. And it comes from a scarlet worm. It says in Colossians 1.20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, it is by the blood of the cross. It is because, it is because that God is holy that sets him apart from everything else. Let's bow our heads. You can go ahead and stand. Maybe this morning something has been said that you've needed to hear. Maybe it is something of delivery. Maybe it's recognizing that of who God is again. There'll be counselors down front if you need uh, some prayer. Matt will sing a chorus of a song. And